Welcome to the Mama Stay Fit podcast, Birth Story Friday. In this birth story, Olivia will be sharing her epidural hospital birth story. She shares how she prepared for birth with an open mind to her birth options. The Mama Stay Fit childbirth education course played a huge role in preparing her and her husband for navigating her water breaking before 37 weeks, an unexpected induction, and laboring for as long as she could before getting an epidural when she started pushing. Welcome to the Mama Safe Fit Podcast. This is Gina, perinatal fitness trainer and birth doula. And this is Roxanne, labor and delivery nurse and student midwife. And this is the Mama Safe Fit Podcast, where we empower you on your prenatal fitness, birth, and postpartum return to fitness journey. Our podcast shares how to move throughout your pregnancy to stay strong and comfortable. Pain is not a requirement of pregnancy. Understand the science of birth and how to approach recovery after birth. We share our personal experiences as mothers navigating the stage of lives, plus our professional expertise as birth workers and fitness professionals. Our goal is to help you feel confident as you navigate the perinatal timeframe for an empowering pregnancy, positive birth, and postpartum journey. We are glad to have you with us on this journey and that you've chosen us to support you. Welcome to the Mama Stay Fit podcast. In this birth story episode, Olivia will be sharing her hospital birth story after a premature pre-labor rupture of membranes. PPROM is when your water breaks before 37 weeks without any contractions being present. If PPROM happens, it's important to know it is not your fault, but depending on your gestation may have different protocols for management. If you are earlier in your pregnancy, especially closer to 24 weeks, either before or after, they're probably going to do expectant management of your labor where they're trying to prolong your pregnancy to support baby's development and hopefully reach that viability, which is 24 weeks, but maybe most likely will be born before term. But in some instances with PPROM, an induction of labor may be recommended, especially if it's before that viability or within that second trimester, it could be due to a decline in maternal health, either getting an infection or potentially some other complications being present or the passing of baby. If you are near term, then your provider may recommend induction due to that increased risk of infection the longer you wait and the longer you are ruptured. Thank you so much for being here with us, Olivia. Thanks. Yeah, I'm super excited. I'm a little nervous, but glad to be here. I'm very unintimidating, I yeah. think. So <laughs> definitely. <laughs> so tell us about tell us about your pregnancy. How was it? It was good. I think it was I mean, for me, it seemed like a fairly normal. It was actually my second pregnancy. I had a miscarriage. So most of the early bit was filled with anxiety as I think a lot of people who have pregnancy after loss, I even like bought one of those heart Dopplers. So I could in between appointments check just to make sure everything was going okay until we started feeling more consistent movements about halfway through. I was able to stay pretty active. The biggest thing that was unique about it, I think was moving halfway through. I conceived my family, my husband and I lived in Philadelphia And we stayed there until I was about 22 weeks. And then we spent about four weeks moving between our families before we ended up in a much smaller town in Indiana. So at that point, I felt pretty good that we were switching providers. It seemed like we had a a good amount of time to get used to everybody and kind of learn about the hospital and, and everything. I ended up seeing midwives, which was really exciting for me. I wasn't sure if that was going to be something that was an option where we were moving to, but they had a a small team of midwives at at the hospital that we decided to give birth at, which was, was nice. I did have some pelvic pain that I dealt with, which was 
came in when we were about five months, maybe. So did some pelvic floor physical therapy, which helped a lot. Um, but it was something that I dealt with pretty much the rest of the time. So how did you prepare for birth? Like what was your plan going into your birth? A lot of my early birth education was just Instagram videos. People post a lot of really great content. That's how I found your page. And it definitely doesn't take long until the search function on your Instagram is just full of babies and and labor education and things like that. And having the loss, I felt like my birth prep actually was extended because it was just something that was on our mind for quite a long time. And then I ended up having a friend who conceived about two months prior. So having her in my life was really helpful because it was like seeing two months into my future and like learning everything through her. So I actually felt really prepared. And then leading up to the birth, trying to decide what birth education course we wanted to do was me thinking more so of what would appeal most to my husband, because he just like listens when I talk about things that wasn't quite immersed in it, which I think could be typical of, of the partner. But my husband's actually in medicine. He's an orthopedic surgeon. So I knew that whatever birth education course we did would have to be a certain type for him not to just like brush it off. Like, Oh, I know exactly what's going to happen. So we decided on what well, I decided on yours. And I think he really enjoyed it because there was a lot of aspects of, of labor and birth prep that even though he went to medical school and had an OB rotation just isn't covered. So doing your course was really great because the information that you provided is very factual and evidence-based and unbiased. And also even the portions when you're talking about like the biomechanics of the body and everything was really helpful. I actually was fortunate enough that we had a doula. So we had a couple pre-birth meetings with her where we were able to kind of go through all the things that might happen and, and talk about our preferences. And so leading up to birth, I actually felt pretty confident about everything. I didn't have like a birth plan. My ultimate goal would have been, you know, the big things that were important to me was being up and moving and, and being able to, to have that movement while in labor. I wasn't necessarily against an epidural, but I knew that because movement was important, that that was something that would inhibit that. So ultimately, if that was what we were going to do, I wanted to try to delay it as long as possible. But besides that, I think trying to be as few interventions as possible is ultimately what the goal was. So let's get into your birth story. Can you tell us your birth story? Yeah. So start basically in at my 36 week appointment. So as we were preparing for delivery, we had this like one big weekend, which was the weekend of when I was about 36 weeks. And there are so many things that me and my husband were like, all right, after this weekend, we have all this stuff. And I went in on a Friday at my 36 week appointment, did like the GBS swab, which I think is typical at that time. And I happened, even though I wasn't at term, I, I took that appointment at the time to ask specific questions of my midwife which I should back up and say my hospital had a 
a midwife team of three, but it just so happened that I had all of my appointments once we moved with the same person. So I felt really comfortable with her, but obviously knowing what I know now, I might've, should have had to switch my appointments. That's why I met everybody. But so I had my appointment with her and I just asked like the one question, even I didn't know was when you are in labor, like, where do you go? <laughs> and in high, it makes sense that the answer is to the emergency room, but I, I don't know. I wasn't sure if there was another and special entrance, but so left my 36 week appointment, headed straight to the gym for a, a workout after I finished my workout, I felt kind of that a little gush of, of fluid come and had that typical question. I feel like a lot of women do is like, oh, did I pee myself or was that my water breaking? <laughs> I even went to the, I just finished going to the bathroom. I was like, that's weird. But I didn't, I didn't really think anything of it. Kind of went through the rest of my afternoon. We were hosting a team dinner for the local rugby team that I coached that night. And so in my mind, I was like, we have to have this dinner. Like I already bought the food and everything. I didn't say anything to my husband. I asked my sister and one of my friends about their experiences breaking with their water breaking. And from what they both told me, my one, my friend immediately was like, you have to, you should go to the hospital. Your, your water definitely broke. And I was like, oh, I don't know. I think it might be okay. But we had the dinner and beforehand I told my husband, I was like, all right, I don't need you to freak out because only one of us can freak out. And I, I claim that, but, and I, I told him about what happened and he immediately was like, where's the car seat? <laughs> Cause we of course didn't have that installed. And I was like, okay, I need you to like sweep the floor instead. We have people coming over. <laughs> but, so finally afterwards, it's like 10 o'clock at night and my, my rugby team had gone home at this point, And we actually also had friends in town from Pittsburgh visiting us. And I was like, okay, let's just go to the hospital. See what, see what they say. We left our friends at the house, go in, had a very, you know, checked into the emergency department, had a very embarrassing wheelchair ride back up to the OB floor. They said it was policy, even though I, I definitely could have walked, but did the intake. The nurse was really great. She was super helpful. She kind of explained the process. It was just a swab. She said it'll take about 30 minutes to get the results back to confirm if it was the amniotic fluid. And as she leaves, my husband's sitting there and he's just shaking his head. He's like, oh my God, your water definitely broke. So it turned out I undersold it from what I told him at home <laughs> versus what I was explaining to the nurse. But she came back in within like four minutes. She's like, yeah, your water broke. We're going to have a baby. <laughs> and was definitely shocked, which I shouldn't have been. It was one of those, like, I knew it, but I just didn't want to believe it because it was just way too early. So at this point, they're going through and they're talking about, you know, being admitted and induction and all that and all that. And I wasn't sure because I, I knew that there's like the evidence of if your water breaks within 24 hours, you could go into labor. So I actually wanted to go home, especially since we, we did have people over, which is probably a silly reason. But I wasn't that interested in the induction at that time. But my midwife who was on call, which coincidentally happened to be the same midwife I had just seen that day. So I really lucked out in that I had all my appointments with the same person. And then she was the person at the hospital that weekend. 
But she came in and I talked to her about possibly going home and she was really straightforward with me. And she said, like, certainly you can go home if you want. But just so you know, if you do that, you will risk out of my care. And if you come back, when you come back tomorrow, I won't be able to see you. And you'll have to see the regular OB on call, which I wasn't necessarily against an OB overseeing the birth. It was just more so this was the one person I had seen the whole time. And I really didn't want to see somebody else. Even we were texting my doula, let her know what happened. But ultimately, my husband and I decided to stay. And at that point, she had even offered that we didn't necessarily have to start the Pitocin at that time. If we wanted to wait until the morning, that would have been okay. But we decided basically the fact that we were there, if we we're going to stay there overnight, we might as well just begin the induction process. So it was probably about midnight. They started the Pitocin and they started it. They told me it was essentially the lowest dose that they could do hooked me up with the IV, which I knew was going to happen since I had the GBS swab that day and the results hadn't come through. They had to essentially treat me as if it was positive. So I knew I was going to be getting antibiotics. But so I went to bed that night with the IV, with the Pitocin and the, the belly band monitoring and everything. Woke up the next morning at about 9 a.m. The midwife came back in. I was having like the lightest contractions and she did the, the cervical exam and basically I was one centimeter dilated. So we discussed the options, decided to do a membrane sweep at that time. And we also decided to do the internal monitoring as opposed to the bands around my belly. It was one of those like, while we're in here, I guess, kind of do all the things, I suppose, but that ultimately ended up being one of my only two cervical exams. So I think that in the end, that was, I'm happy with that decision. So they increased the Pitocin a little bit at that time, kind of went throughout the morning, wasn't having too strong of contractions, but they picked up around midday. So at this point, I guess I, I don't really remember noticing it, but I assume I had continued leaking the amniotic fluid, but around noon, contractions started to pick up and I had that classic like movie depiction gush of water. However, the the anatomy of the leak was it was just like a little leak and then you know the balloon popped of the water. So at that time I had, was texting my doula like, okay, I think things are happening for you to come in. So she got to the hospital around one in the afternoon and we spent the next couple hours like walking the halls and, and doing some different you know, strategies, comfort measures to progress things along at round five is when looking back, I I know that I was kind of approaching transition. So the contractions were getting pretty tough and we decided, I decided to try getting in the shower, which again, looking back, I think the theory made sense and I would probably have enjoyed more of a tub situation than the shower because the water definitely did help, but the way that their showers are is it's just one shower head that's removable. So I was holding it and like holding it underneath, like on my belly underneath to try to add some comfort to the contractions. But what I found was that I was just really cold because I wished there was two shower heads, like one that stayed up and could just cover me with the warm water. And then also having the one that I was able to put directly on my belly. 
So I quickly realized that that just wasn't for me. And I also decided at that time that I think it was the epidural was, was going to be the right move. So I let my doula and the midwife know at that time. And I remember them telling me that the anesthesiologist was at home. And the only thing I was thinking was, oh my gosh, they probably live so far away. <laughs> oh goodness. <laughs> they didn't. <laughs> or at least I guess it felt like they didn't. So got out of the tub, waited. We were on the, I waited in the room, mostly on the bed at this point for them to come. At that time was actually having some of the fetal ejection reflex, which you can't really, I guess like you can learn about it and anticipate what it's going to be like, but it's so bizarre when it actually happens. Like it just, you feel, it's just interesting to be out of control of your body in that way. But the anesthesiologist arrived, managed, was able to get the epidural, no problem, which was really great. And then something that was pleasantly unexpected was For some reason, I had it in my head, and I don't know if this is like typical education about epidurals, but for some reason, I thought that they take like 30 minutes to to kick in, and that was not the case for me. It was basically instantaneous, which was, was really great. I think it takes like 20 to 30 minutes for like the full effects, but they give you okay. a like a dose right away to give you a little bit more of an instant relief. And so you should have relief like really quickly. And then as that like initial boost like fades, the epidural is taking over, if that makes sense. So it does. Um, so the, the relief should be fairly quick after you receive it. And then it'll be like the full amount, about like 30 minutes ish. Gotcha. That makes sense. I, I didn't know that. So I'm thinking like, okay, they're here, we're doing it. And I just got to tough it out. But it was really nice that right away I was like, whew, okay. <laughs> but so then, you know, they kind of get you cozy in bed. They gave me a popsicle and some warm blankets. And I joked with my husband, I was like, oh, we're going to have to send him a gift basket, (laughs) like MVP of the day. (laughs) But what was nice was even after it happened. And again, I, I don't know if it was like the epidural dosage or just a placement thing, but I didn't feel as immobilized as I I knew I would obviously I wouldn't have been able to to get up and walk around but I was able to like adjust myself and even I think it's the staff did seem like it was a little unusual but I was able to even like pick my legs up and reposition myself which was really nice and so for me going into it not wanting to to have that lack of movement even though I wasn't able to feel anything, it, it did make me much more comfortable that for me, I was still able to, to move myself within the bed, which was great. So right before I got the epidural, my midwife did do another cervical exam and confirmed that I was eight centimeters dilated at that time. So we did some different positions in the bed. I was able to, to sit up for quite a while and did some side lying with the peanut ball and um, basically, I guess, labored down. So I think I approached... 10 centimeters pretty quickly, but the baby was still a bit high in my pelvis. So I want to say we waited maybe an hour and a half or two hours until it came time to actually push. So the midwife came back in, kind of confirmed that everything was, was in a good position and we were good to go. And 
because we had the internal monitoring and had the epidural, I wasn't sure how exactly that worked, but they were able to still see the contractions on the monitor. And so to time the pushing with that. So we did that. I mostly pushed laying on my back and sideline, kind of switching left side to the right side. I definitely preferred the sides. We pushed for about an hour, I would say, until internal monitoring popped out. Like, you know, eventually it it's kind of sitting on the baby's head and then it, there's nowhere else to go. And it was funny because as soon as that happened, they were they were talking about like when to time the push and they they kept asking me like when I felt the contractions and like felt the pressure, I guess, because you don't you don't feel the contractions necessarily. And I just remember laying there. I'm like looking at my husband and my doula is like, I don't feel any, like I don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> like I can't tell. And so I think the nurses, they were able to kind of tell by looking at my belly when I was having the contractions to time the pushing, which is great because I would have just, I don't know what I would have done, but continued to push and came to a point where I think the midwife had suggested if I wanted to, to reach down and and feel the head, um, which was exciting. I didn't even think that that would be something I would have been interested in doing, but it was really cool to, to be able to feel you know, the little hairs on the top, but I think it came to a point where I was pushing and it was like the head was coming, but it just, it wasn't coming all the way through. And my midwife at that time had actually suggested uh, an episiotomy, which I was surprised about, but also was one of the things I definitely didn't want to do. And my doula was able to suggest at that point when she said that I was laying on my back and she suggested switching to sideline because it seemed like I was having some better luck in, in that position. So we did. And I think it was just three or four more contractions and pushes and his head came out. And at that time they, they told me that his little hand came out with it. So for just a hot second, he was a little head and a, just a hand out in the world. So I imagine that was what made things a little tough coming out. But then we got that last push, the body came out, which was, I mean, just a, a crazy feeling. And then, you know, just the everything that happens at the same time, like baby right up on my chest right away. They did have, since I was preterm, they had a staff member from the NICU, from the, res- the respiratory team um, on standby in the room next door, just in case there were any complications. And they did take him for, I mean, like probably less than a minute. They, they put him on my chest and it was after we did the cutting the cord and all that stuff. They did take him and were able to check that everything was was fine. And they brought him back and it was and you just cry. And I just remember looking down at him. And it was just the wildest thing. This little baby. I know it is so incredible. One of the things that I usually find when someone has an internal monitor as they're pushing because they're that cord is attached to the baby's head. You'll actually see the cord like moving out. Mm-hmm. And so I like almost wish that they would put like little tickers on it so you knew like how many more ticks you had to go (laughs) so that might have been another way that the nurses were telling when you were starting to have a contraction because they might have seen more of the cord starting to come out Mm -hmm. which is pretty funny and were they doing any sort of like belly palpations to kind of assess if your belly was getting harder or anything or 
They didn't know I had. So when it came time to actually push, and again, this was something I wasn't, wasn't sure how it was going to happen because during the day we just had the one nurse who was assigned to us who would come in and help and see how things were going. And then there were two ultimately along with the midwife and yeah, it seemed, it was just a visual, whatever visually they were, they were able to see. Yeah. I wonder if it was the interim monitor that they were watching. Yeah. So what were some things that contributed positively towards your birth? The positive things I think definitely stemmed from the education going in. So because my water broke prematurely and especially the fact that I was preterm, my options were really limited, especially in regards to the induction. So basically because my water broke, my understanding and the way they explained it was all the alternatives to Pitocin were kind of off the table because they required like things like, I guess like the Foley bulb and things like that. Like they, they couldn't do anything like that because of the risk of infection. So just being able to advocate for the, the little things that I could. And so one of them was, was knowing that it is okay to eat. So in the morning, they didn't encourage me to have breakfast, but I was able to, my husband had left at this point because we had friends in town. I was like, just go take them out to breakfast. So I was just hanging out. Like there wasn't much happening. And I was able to talk with the nurse and she ended up bringing me, I had like a bagel and peanut butter and some sausage for breakfast. So like starting the day off, I felt like on a good foot for that. And then even at the end, like being able to advocate, not having the episiotomy made me feel more in control looking back on, on the things that happened. And then obviously, like I said, the the anesthesiologist not living too far is home placement. And the, (laughs) that was, was great. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing can make someone like more sad than when they hear anesthesia is busy and can't come give them an epidural when they really want one. I know. Then I think it's like the thing I think is worse is somebody who really wanted an epidural, but they progressed too quickly to get one. Yeah. I always feel really bad for those ladies too. And I'm like, oh, I know that you really wanted one. We can all hear that you really wanted one. Yes. <laughs> oh, it's... I know. Well, and it's funny because I, because of my husband's job, I kind of hear the other side of it. So he does surgery and every now and again, he'll text me like midday. He'll be like, oh, we're making such good time, but... My anesthesiologist had to go do an epidural and I, and I would always text him back and be like, they had to go. It's a, they had to go. Don't even complain about it. I'm fully in support. So your, your surgery can wait. <laughs> yes. I was like, they have other important things they need to do. I have, I have never heard the opposite or the other side of the story. So that was really interesting. <laughs> mm-hmm. So what advice do you have for others that are preparing for birth, that are navigating pregnancy? The biggest thing I would say is go into it with a flexible mindset. I think that there are, and I've seen it with some of my friends, there are certain instances like they wanted X, Y, Z to happen. And if it couldn't happen, you know, exactly that way, it feels a bit like a failure. So if you go in educated about all the options so that you can make informed decisions and still be an active participant in your care, but know that things aren't going to align necessarily exactly with what you want. Like personally for me, induction via Pitocin was 
like the very last thing I wanted to happen, but there were so many things that happened that did align with my wishes that it still ended up being a great experience. And then the second thing, which I didn't say, would be take the time to always pack a hospital bag, even if you don't think you'll need it. So we went in and I was 85% sure that my water broke, but for some reason I like walked in with my cell phone and my wallet (laughs) and that's it. (laughs) And my husband had to go like at midnight and, and pack, like go go home and get my toothbrush. So always pack a bag just in case. I usually recommend even if you're going for an appointment, just to keep the bag in the car, just in case something crazy happens at your appointment and you have to get admitted. Yeah. Um, Because sending someone home to scramble to find things is always so stressful. (laughs) Yeah, it, it that was it takes much longer to make a list if you have to write exactly where they are. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> pack a bag, leave it in the car. You don't have to bring it in, but at least then if you need it, it's it's on site. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast with me. I really loved hearing your birth story, especially from the epidural perspective, because I had an epidural from my first birth. And I know that there's, you know, I think like 70% of people get one. So I think it's really great that you reached out to to share your positive epidural birth story, especially with like the desire to get one. And I really loved hearing that your partner really loved our course too. We, We find that a lot of partners who are in like STEM focused careers or like the military or very like physical first responder type jobs really like our course because it is so science-based and it includes so much of the anatomy and physiology. So thank you for letting us know how helpful the course was for you. Absolutely. Thank you for doing what you do and, and putting all that information out there. It helps helped me and definitely helps a lot of people. All right. Well, thank you so much for being here with me. Of course. Thank you very much. So thank you for joining us today and listening to this episode. If you want more support throughout your pregnancy, join our prenatal fitness programs and childbirth education course. If you need more support after birth, join our postpartum fitness programs and education courses, which includes the scar mobilization course. If you're a professional, we offer birth worker and fitness trainer courses as well. So you can learn from us and earn continuing education credits. Explore all of our courses on our website at mamastayfit.com and you can use code STORY10 to save 10% off all of our programs as our gift to you for listening to our podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow our podcast and you will be notified when we release new episodes. You can leave a review, share with your friends, families, everyone you know. We release new episodes every Wednesday and then new birth stories every Friday. The Mama Safe Podcast Birth Story Friday episodes are sponsored by Balbay, a perinatal clothing company that supports your pregnancy, birth, and beyond with their expertly curated support wear garments. Use code MAMASTAYFIT for 15% off your order.